0: Hey guys, and welcome back to the Vitriol Podcast Episode 8. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Maddie and I'm a proud science nerd. And for those of you that do know me, welcome back. While the effects of COVID still affect us and I subsequently cannot do my usual in-person boozy science events, I'm bringing you these podcasts instead. So I hope that you're all keeping well and that this podcast might be helping to engage your brain. If you have any subject suggestions or follow-up questions, please get in touch with me. You can find me on Instagram at vitriol underscore science and you can also contact me via my website which is vitriolscience.com where you can find my email address. So today I'm going to be diving into and sharing a little bit of my morbid curiosity side with you guys and I'm going to be speaking about what happens when we die. Not spiritually or anything like that, just quite literally what happens scientifically and the overarching subject of this today is going to be about the process of embalming. So what it is, why it's done, how it's generally done and just a teeny tiny little bit of history on it. So embalming is the science, and it's kind of an art really, of preserving human or animal remains by treating them with chemicals to slow down or stop decomposition. So the intention is usually to make the deceased suitable for public or private viewing as part of a funeral ceremony. Or keep them preserved for medical purposes. So any of you out there that might be enrolled in med science or have completed your studies and are a doctor now etc you will be very familiar with cadavers and cadavers are actually as a result of embalming as well. So the three goals of embalming are sanitization, presentation and preservation. And restoration is an important additional factor in some instances, but not in all of them. Performed successfully, embalming can help preserve the body for a duration of many years. I'm going to touch on the teeny tiny little bit of history stuff that I mentioned. And this was probably the first time that I had heard of or was... Uh, aware of what embalming was and it was back in year 11, 12 uh, ancient history and we were talking about ancient Egypt and I think when we think about embalming most of us who are aware of that or who are aware of ancient Egypt and some of their practices immediately think about how they would embalm bodies. They were really the first ancient culture that developed embalming to such a great extent and specialized priests were in charge of embalming and mummification. So they did this by removing the organs, getting rid of any moisture in the body and covering the body with natron. So this was done because the ancient Egyptians believed that mummification enabled the soul to return to the preserved corpse after death. So, the ancient Egyptians are probably the best example of a really extensive form of embalming, but other cultures are known to have used embalming techniques as well. And this includes the Peruvians, Aztecs, Mayans and southern Nigerian tribes in history. So, what does embalming look like today in modern times? These days, embalming is most often performed to ensure a better presentation of the deceased for viewing by friends and relatives, say at an open casket funeral. A successful viewing of the body is considered to be helpful in the grieving process, and embalming has the potential to prevent mourners from having to deal with the fact that their loved one is deceased and is actually starting to go through the process of decomposition. However, I will mention here that there's no general consensus that viewing an embalmed corpse is therapeutic to those who are grieving. And in many countries, embalming is rare. And the people who grieve their loved ones without having them embalmed or without viewing them at a funeral or a religious ceremony are able to still grieve normally. So just to throw that in there. Embalming is, however, a legal requirement in some instances. So if we were to think about someone who was a casualty at war and then had to be flown back home and returned to their family, this is an instance where embalming will have had to have been performed to some extent. So I'm going to walk you guys through the generalized process of modern embalming. There is some variation in these steps, but this is generally what will happen. So the first step is to obviously verify the permissions and requests of the family, followed by a careful plan for the deceased's preparation. Before commencing any preparation, the embalmer will verify the identity of the body. Um, This is most commonly done through wrist or leg tags. And at this point embalmers commonly perform an evaluation of the condition of the deceased. They'll note things such as rigor mortis, their skin condition, etc. and these factors are all taken into account because they have the ability to affect the final outcome of the embalming procedure. First the body is washed with a special soap. And during this process, the embalmer bends and flexes and massages the arms and legs to relieve any rigor mortis that may have set in. The eyes and the mouth are closed. Any variety of methods can be used to do this. Uh, Most often, I think, is an adhesive or a kind of glue. And care is taken to make the expression look as relaxed and natural as possible when they do this. After all of that preparation has taken place the embalmer then progresses with the actual embalming process, which usually involves four parts. But as I said, this is just a generalized version of what usually happens. So the first step is arterial embalming, which involves the injection of embalming chemicals into the blood vessels, which usually happens via the carotid artery. This ensures that blood and any sort of fluids in the body are displaced by this chemical. In some instances the embalmer can actually perform what's known as a pre-injection and what this is is a solution of chemicals that don't contain any preservatives but they're chemicals that encourage vasodilation which means that your blood vessels will open up So they'll become more relaxed and allow fluids more readily to flow through them. And this will help disperse any blood clots. And then following on with the embalming chemical injection, which contains all the preservatives that will then be more easily distributed throughout the body during that process. So then on to step two, uh, which is referred to as cavity treatment. And this just really refers to the removal of any internal fluids inside the body cavities via the use of an aspirator. The embalmer will then fill the cavities with chemicals that contain formaldehyde. The third step is hypodermic embalming and this is a method that refers to the injection of embalming chemicals into the tissue with a hypodermic needle or a syringe and this is generally used as needed on a case-by-case basis to treat areas where arterial fluid has not been successfully distributed during the main arterial injection then the fourth step is surface embalming which utilizes Embalming chemicals to preserve and restore areas directly on the skin surface and other superficial areas as well as areas of damage. So this is the general four-step kind of process of embalming and the duration of embalming can vary greatly. But with this generalized process, the time to complete this is approximately between two and four hours. However, an embalming case that presents, say... Excessive complications could require substantially longer and the treatment of someone who has undergone an autopsy in cases of extreme trauma, these cases may require actually multiple days to complete the process. So as I said, embalming is meant to temporarily preserve the body of a deceased person. Regardless of whether embalming is performed, the type of burial or entombment and the materials used, such as wood or metal coffins and vaults, the body of the deceased will eventually decompose. And modern embalming is done to delay decomposition so that funeral services may take place. So another reason that embalming is performed, and a little shout out to, again, anyone that's doing med science or dealing with cadavers in their studies. This was something that I had to do firsthand in one of my units. I had to deal with cadavers. The process that is used to prepare cadavers for anatomy education is quite different. The first priority is for long-term preservation. When we're talking about cadavers, it's got absolutely nothing to do with presentation. And as a result of that, medical embalmers are using wetting fluids or chemicals that contain really high concentrations of formaldehyde. We're talking around 40% and then that will be mixed with a disinfectant or a chemical referred to as a phenol, uh, which actually back in the day used to be used as an antiseptic, (laughs) thankfully not so much anymore, and these embalming fluids are made without dyes or perfumes. Many embalming companies make specialized anatomical embalming fluids specifically for the preparation of cadavers for anatomy education and research. Anatomically embalmed cadavers have a typical uniform gray coloration, Due both to the high formaldehyde concentration mixed with the blood and the lack of red coloration agents, commonly added to standard non-medical embalming fluids. So there is actually a reason for this. Formaldehyde, when it mixes with blood, actually causes the grey discoloration, which is referred to as formaldehyde grey or embalmer's grey and this is something that I've seen firsthand. Any of you out there that have seen or handled a cadaver will be able to relate to this as well and I think mentally when I when I took that unit at school I told my mum and dad about the prac that I had done and they were kind of shocked and not to sort of dive into too much of psychology but I think it is actually easier to distance yourself from what you're doing in your prac if you're dealing with cadavers due to the fact that they are colorless they are this gray so it's very easy to kind of have that separation from the fact that you are handling a deceased body or a deceased's arm or leg often they're, they're separated into parts so yeah there's a little bit about cadavers for you So just to sort of recap on this subject, firstly I hope you guys have enjoyed this. I know that it's a little bit more dark and a little bit more morbid than what I've covered so far but this is the kind of thing that I really enjoy learning about. It's just a little bit creepy, a little bit sciencey, a little bit educational I just like that combo very much, personally. So just to sort of sum up on embalming, it is done to slow down or halt decomposition. And that is its primary focus. If we look at embalming for a funeral versus embalming for cadavers for education purposes there are massive differences between the two and that's because the outcome or the goal for each is different. But the one thing that they do share is preservation. So I hope that you have enjoyed this podcast episode. I hope that you have learned something. I hope that you are keeping well and get in touch with me if you have any follow-up questions or subject ideas i love to hear from you guys so please don't hesitate to shoot me a dm or get in touch with me via my website where you can find my email address and until next week i will be procrastinating a uni assessment that's due on sunday and be working on episode nine for you thanks guys